Welcome to Bringing Truth to Life. My name is Henry Clay, and we hope you enjoy this series of messages on cultivating a heart for God. Good evening. Delighted that you are here, and we are beginning our, our Easter series that's entitled Cultivating the Heart, which I suppose is apropos in this sort of a spring, almost springtime time. We were driving by the baseball fields over there and seeing already people braving the cold to get out there and start the season. And some of you maybe are already digging around in your yard or putting out fertilizer or plants or, or at least thinking about what you're going to do when the weather gets a little bit better. And in this period of time, tonight is Ash Wednesday, or today is Ash Wednesday, and this is the very first day of a 40-day period called Lent. I should have looked up why they called it Lent, but that's what they call it. And I was raised in the Episcopalian Church, and they have it all kind of mapped out. And I think uh, many, many years ago in the early church, they, they wanted to have a, they didn't want to just arrive at Easter time without having thought about their lives and without having taken Jesus Christ more seriously. And so they would plan in a period of a special period of 40 days uh, every year leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday as a time of preparing your heart through fasting, through reading the scripture, might have been through many different kinds of activities, but the intent was always the same. Uh, to not forget what Christ has done and to think about it and to apply it to their hearts. And so we're beginning seven weeks where we'll be talking about what does it mean to cultivate your heart. And I trust that we'll be seeing you every week as the Lord enables you to come. Cultivating the heart, sowing good seed and guarding against pests and plague. And Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And I'm hoping that when you leave here tonight, you will pretty much have that memorized as a watchword for your life and for your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Read it with me. Come on, let's do it two or three times. Ready? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. This time I want you to emphasize the word guard. Let's read the whole thing. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now emphasize your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23. And I want us to look a little bit at this phrase by phrase. We want to first look at this priority that God puts on the heart. We've got a little chart here. Let's think back to Genesis chapter 1. And there were the six days of creation. The work of God in creation is that He made all things of nothing by the word of His power in the space of six days, and all very good. Where is that from? The Shorter Catechism. I'm trying to learn those too. So in uh, Genesis chapter 1, we have the, the account of the first six days of the universe the six days of creation. And in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work He had been doing, so on the seventh day He rested from all His works. So which day was the day of rest? The seventh day. But which day had He made man? On the sixth day. So for man... The very first day, full day that he had, after his first good night's rest, he wakes up, and let's just suppose he says, well, God, what are we going to do today? He says, no, this is a day of rest. He says, but I'm, I'm not tired. I, I just got here. And what we want to see here is how, even at the very beginning, there is an emphasis and a priority put on the heart 
on not our works, the works of our hand, but the focus of our heart. And we must assume that if God rested and man was in God's image, that on that day he didn't give man some things to do. He says, well, I'm tired. I've been working for six days. But you just got here, so I have a couple things I'd like you to take care of for me since I'm resting today. I'm sure man also rested on that day even though he wasn't tired. Of course, God wasn't tired either. He worked six days, but he didn't rest because he was tired. It says he rested because he was finished. He had finished the work that he intended to do in creation. So isn't it interesting that the very first thing that God gives man to do is nothing. Just look at what God has created. Stop and contemplate what God has done. The emphasis, the priority on first rest and worship and second labor for him. Now then he did give him things to do. He put him in the garden. He wanted him to name the animals. He was supposed to tend and cultivate the garden. It wasn't as though he was always supposed to be resting, as some, maybe some of your children, you feel like uh, this person was born to be uh, in nobility, aristocracy, because they really just don't ever want to lift a finger to do anything. God made us to labor, but the priority was first, always, on the heart, and in this case, on, on resting before working. Uh, let's move on to the New Testament. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, uh, starting in verse 1. And here Jesus talks about three activities. All under the title, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. And then he says, So when you give, and he says a few things. When you pray, and he says a few things. And when you fast. And in all three of those cases, he says the same thing. When you do it, do it in secret. Do it so that others cannot see, so that you will have your reward in heaven. For example, on prayer, he says, uh, but you, verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He puts the emphasis on what is done, on the righteousness that's done in secret. He doesn't say, now when you're going to do something bad, go into your room and shut the door so no one else will have to see this. He says, no, when you do your own righteousness, your own quiet time, your own time with the Lord, that there should be a growing area in your life of secret good things that you're doing that no one else knows about. Too often it's the other way around, isn't it? We do all the, all the good things we do, we put that out nicely in the window, uh, show window, and the other things that aren't nice we put back behind where no one can see it. And he says you need to reverse that. Your sins need to be confessed. And the things that you're doing that are your ministry of giving to the poor or prayer or fasting, that should be more hidden. But the emphasis is on the invisible. Now you see the, the tree that's up there. That you, you would never drive down the road and see a live, thriving tree like that. Because if you can see all the roots of a tree, it's dying or dead. And the same way with the Christian life, there should be an aspect of your life that's below the surface, that's invisible, that's hidden away, that only God sees where you're drawing nutrients and nourishment from the Lord and from time with Him. Let's look at Matthew 7. The wise man built his house where? Upon the rock. So we have a story of two people, both building a house, perhaps the same blueprint, same materials, Shame, the same decorator shingles on the roof, the same cute little pink curtains in the daughter's room and everything. The houses, as far as we know, were identical. The big difference was the foundation, where it was built. And so we see an emphasis here also in this passage. First, what's down below that nobody sees? What is that foundation on? The foolish man builds his house 
on the sand. He didn't dig it down and get on solid ground. And so when the rain came, same storm also. The same God, the same, almost the same amount of labor, except it took a little longer to put that foundation on the rock. But such a big difference, even though it was the same storm. Because one man only focused on the house above the ground. The other man focused on, but what's that house founded on? What's your life founded on? What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your invisible life? A fourth example of this is in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus calls the twelve to be with him, to be his disciples, to be the apostles. And it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, And he appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that means sent ones, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So we see that his eventual intent is for them to be involved in the ministry. But does it say that he appointed twelve so that he could send them out? Nope. But their name is apostles. That's the sent out ones. Yep, but don't go yet. It says he appointed twelve that they might be with him. And until they had been with him, there was no point in sending them out. If we are not close to the Lord and if we are not filled with Him, then most of the stuff we do, we're probably causing more trouble than help. Because what people need in our lives is Jesus Christ. And if we haven't spent time with Him, we're not going to be of much use for Him. He appointed twelve that they might be with Him and that He might send them out only then to labor for him. In Luke 6, in Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, or as some call it, the Sermon on the Plain, because it may have been a different moment when he gave this sermon, it says in verse 43, Luke 6, 43, no good tree bears bad fruit nor does a, b a bad tree bear good fruit. Verse 45, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. Again, we see an emphasis on the invisible root, because that will always determine what is the visible fruit. But we don't tend to put much stock in what we can't see and what's invisible and what other people can't see because we don't seem to get much credit for it. But as we grow in understanding that, that God is our most important observer, then we will invest the time to strengthen that invisible part of our lives. John 15, such a well-known passage, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me will bear much fruit. Remain in me, verse 4, 15, 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Once again, an emphasis on the heart, an emphasis on the invisible communion with the Lord Jesus Christ so that his life will flow through mine to do his will and bear fruit for his glory. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead and is just about to ascend to heaven. He's done everything he's going to do on the earth. He's got his 12 that have now been whittled down to 11, who he has given the great commission to at the end of Matthew. And in verse 4, he doesn't say, well, time is wasting. You're, you don't have that many days left in your life. You better get going. I gave you a big job. You, you need to take the gospel to all creation, to everyone in the whole earth. So you better, what are you still hanging around for? 
Uh, you better get going. Verse 4, he doesn't say that. Listen to this. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. And I think, well, how are we going to share the gospel with the whole earth if we're not supposed to leave Jerusalem? He says, well, don't leave yet. He says, wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8 he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First wait, first receive, then go to the ends of the earth as witnesses. An emphasis first on that intimacy with God, that developing that root system, drawing on the person of Christ, receiving what God has for you, and only then moving out to minister for Him. We live in a very busy, can-do kind of society. So as soon as we sort of have it clear what we're supposed to do, we want to break the huddle and go start running the plays. And we see here, right at the very beginning, even though these disciples had been trained by Jesus himself, they, had, they didn't get any better than that, any purer than that as far as the message they'd received, the example that they'd seen in him. And yet still, he said, tarry, wait, don't go yet. You must receive something from God before you can labor for God. And in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 2, and I know on all of these you've heard sermons on these, but I just want to try and help you see that this is a recurring theme. And whenever God repeats something, it's because it's, it's important. In Revelation 2, verse 2, this is to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds. That would probably be a pretty scary thing to hear God say. You remember some time when you'd done something you shouldn't have done and you thought no one had seen you? And it turns out someone had seen you. And then they come and they say, I know what you did. And you're thinking, I hope you're not thinking what I'm thinking. You know, you're hoping they're thinking of something else, not that thing that you thought no one saw that you never wanted anyone to know about. But for God Almighty to say it, I know your deeds. I'm sure it would send a shiver down anyone's spine. But he says good things about them. Listen to this. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary, and they're feeling pretty good. We were a little nervous when you said, I, I know your deeds, but... I think we're going to get at least a B plus. This is sounding, this is sounding pretty good. And then he says, "Yet," other translations says, "But," not what you were wanting to hear. I hold this against you, verse four. You have forsaken your first love. Well, I know, but we were just we were doing so many things for you. I'm sure he would understand. Because, well, we, we were already, we already did that. We, you know, a couple of years ago we were reading our Bibles and praying. But now uh, we've covered that. Now we're moving on to serve God in many wonderful ways. We plugged the iron in a year ago, and it was nice and hot. But the, the things we were ironing got further and further away, so we finally had to unplug it so we could reach further and further ironing for God. The ironing, iron is getting colder and colder. He says, I'm very happy about the works of your hands. You've been doing good things. But I have something against you. You have forsaken your first love. And notice through all of these things how God puts that emphasis on, but how is your heart? Yes, but I'm doing but how is your heart? How is your inner life? How is the part of your life that no one sees? Is it growing, growing more pure, more strong, more clean, more honoring to God? Or is it just sort of plateaued? Or is it rotting and decaying or shrinking? Is there a withered root down there? And we can talk about how great the foliage is and and yes, but there are these this fruit, he says. I have this against you. 
there is a problem in your inner life. There's something not right with your heart. And he says, that's my priority. That's his priority. And it should be our priority too. Above all else, look at your verse again. Look at those first three words on that verse on your little piece of paper. Above all else, guard your heart. Every one of us here has priorities in our lives. You have maybe four or five things that need to be done. But if you think just for a second, you know which ones are the most important to you, and you're going to do that. Let's just say you're cooking a fried egg, and you have, you're very particular about your fried eggs, and you've got it, you've got it, it's cooked long enough where you can go ahead and get it unstuck so it'll slither around in the pan, you know, you put enough butter in and everything, and it's all, it's, 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 coming, it's coming along great, and, and you're trying to get it right to the point where the white is all cooked, but the yellow is still running. But all of a sudden, you hear this blood-curdling scream, followed by a number of bumps and bumps and bumps, and you realize something awful has happened with my, probably the three-year-old, because that's what it sounded like. There may be blood, there may be broken bones, and for the moment, you have come, you're going to leave and desert your fried egg because a higher priority has arisen. Hopefully, you'll remember to turn off the stove before you race off to see if you have to plan a funeral. Uh, we had a, one, uh, somebody visiting our house one time, and I think uh, uh, one of my children had them in a little baby buggy up at the top of the stairs. Pushed the whole baby buggy down the stairs. Baby buggy and baby. Bang, 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 bang. You know, So whatever else we were doing, put on hold. Above all else, guard the baby. You know, Pick up the baby. And he's saying here, this is a matter not just to include in your values, something to insert somewhere in your do list. He says, above all else. Above my money? Yes. Above my job? Yes. Above my family? Yes. Above my marriage? Yes. Not to the exclusion of all the other things. Of course not. It's just one of many things. He just says it should be the first thing, the most important thing. Above all else. Say it with me three times. Above all else. Above all else. One more time. Above all else. Guard your heart. Let's look at the second point. Above all else, guard your heart. Cultivating the heart takes attention. It doesn't just happen. I have been trying this with my yard, trying to cultivate it without doing anything. I just look at it from time to time, and it really has not worked. I finally went out the other day and started picking up all the things from the ice storm because they just don't pick themselves up. Cultivation of your heart also, it takes attention. Now, we don't tend to give it attention because your heart doesn't yell at you when you go by and say, hey, you haven't been cultivating me. And no one else goes by and says, boy, your, your heart really needs working on. Now, there may, there may be some outward manifestation of of a problem in your heart that they will comment on because that's the visible part, but there's the invisible part that nobody sees that's the source of all the other stuff. But it doesn't go yelling, no alarms go off, it's very, very quiet, it's hidden. But it takes attention. No garden keeps itself. Above all else, do what? Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Let's say the verse two more times, the whole thing, ready? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now don't look at it, say it, try and say it without looking at it, ready? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I went to a military school in Alabama, near the town of Selma popular tourist destination, I'm sure. And this was a small suburb of Selma. We would go to Selma to eat pizza on the weekends. 
But I was at this military school, and every once in a while, you'd have to do guard duty. So that meant you would, of course, have on your uniform and everything, and you would have to be there all night in the guardhouse. And it was pretty boring. I'm sure most of the time, guard duty is sort of like that. It's long periods of boredom with momentary times of terror. But anyway, I was there on guard duty, and I'm, I'm not sure what we were going to do if anything happened. You know, of course, we weren't armed or anything. We were just some, but we were at least supposed to stay awake and see if anything looked suspicious. To guard, what does that mean, to guard? To protect, to shield, to screen, to shade, defend, watch over, insulate, uh, to keep, to safeguard, to secure, to lock up. Protect your heart, shield your heart, defend your heart, watch over your heart. What kind of things do you guard? And if I were, I have a pocket knife here, and if I were to pull that little pen knife out and open up the sharp pointy part, the one with the blade that comes to a point, and I were to come at you, like this, just very slowly, so you can think about it. I'm not going to go real fast. I was to take off your glasses, and I'm going for your left eye. Now, at some point, you're going to stop just smiling, and you're going to do something just in case Henry gets too excited here. You know, you're not going to let somebody touch your eye with that knife. But let's, let's, okay, let's pick something soft. What's something soft? Um, a Q-tip. Nice, when a little spongy, cottony thing on the end, you know. Really soft. Now I'm coming at your eye. You want that to touch your eye? No, I don't want anything to touch my eye. You guard your eyes almost instinctively. You, you, you blink, you turn away. You're constantly guarding your eyes. There are many things that you are ver already very good at guarding. If you now have or have had the care of a small child, a one-and-a-half-year-old. A lot of the activity surrounding that child, besides its hygiene and feeding, is just guarding it. You're out on the, you know, on the sidewalk, and if you want to keep that child, you better watch them, because they are not yet fully aware of what could happen when one of those big, neat things goes roaring by in the street. They don't realize that you could get run over and sent immediately to heaven. And so they, they don't know how to guard themselves, so you have to guard them. And we've all had the experience of, of trying to protect somebody else that didn't know how to protect themselves. We guard our health. If I say, oh, I've got this nice thing of poison here, wouldn't you? No, I'm not going to eat poison. You have papers that are very important, maybe some stocks or your will or something. How many of you have a safety deposit box? Okay. Most people here have a safety Why would you have a safety deposit box? Why don't you just leave it out? Well, something might happen to it. The, the house might burn down. It might get lost. I'm, I'm going to guard these papers. Why? Because they're valuable. I'm, I'm going to put them in a safe place. Guarding and safeguarding is something that we're very adept at in many areas of our life. But this verse says, above all else, think about all the ways you guard all those things, wrap it all together, and he says, even more than that, you should guard your heart. Now, how can you know if you're doing that? Well, if you haven't been thinking about it, then you haven't been doing it, because guarding always takes attention. And so if you haven't been thinking about, well, how is my heart doing and how can I guard it, then you haven't been doing it. It's like if I haven't been thinking about getting out and puttering around in the yard, I haven't been doing it either. And the yard is just like it was before. Now some people, when it comes to their heart, it's almost as though they think, well, you don't want to be so tender-hearted. You need, you need to toughen up your heart. Don't just live off, you know, as an island and you never see anything. Well, we're, that's not what we're talking about anyway. But some people seem to almost take pride in, in that uh, they can take anything. And that I can watch it and 
You know, they've watched so many terrible things that it doesn't bother them anymore. They've got a calloused heart. But if you think of your heart like your eye, who wants a calloused eye? Here, let's, let, let's work on your eye and hit it and poke it and, and, and it, so that it will develop a callus and it can stand more. Well, I wouldn't want to do that because the eye is so sensitive, it's so precious that a calloused eye is an eye that's not going to see very well. I like my eye just fine the way it is without anything touching it. The same way with our heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's say it two more times. Humor me. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And what that verse teaches us is that every person is appointed by God to be their own keeper and guard. You are your own guard, your own keeper. You have been appointed that by God. It says, above all else, guard your heart. It doesn't say, above all else, give God a clap because he's guarding your heart. He says, no, you guard your heart. Why should you guard your heart? Got a couple of thoughts here from a book written by, back in the 1600s. It was a real blessing to me. Why should you guard your heart? If you will not keep yourself or guard yourself, then all the world will not be able to keep you. If you won't watch out for your own heart, no one else can. You may have now or have had a child where they just threw care to the wind. They just would not be careful. And it would get to the point that if they wouldn't care for themselves, no one else, no one else could either. I mean, there are always going to be situations if they are intent on not caring for themselves, then they won't be cared for, not fully. If you won't keep yourself, if you won't guard your heart, then all the world will not be able to keep it for you. Secondly, if you will not keep yourself, the devil will be happy to keep you. But the devil is a jailer. He would be happy to take on that job of keeping you, of locking you up, of getting you into trouble, if you will not take care of yourself and pay attention to the condition of your own heart. And third, if you will not keep yourself, then you will never be able to keep those or guard those who are committed to your keeping. If you don't watch out for yourself, if you don't have self-leadership, if you are not focused on maintaining your own inner life with God, how in the world can you be a spiritual leader or element or influence in your family and in your extended family and in your workplace and in your ministry? If you will not keep yourself, then you will also not be able to keep those that are under your care and committed to your keeping. So the application of that is, don't be slack. This takes diligence. Think about all the work you're going to have to do to get your yard in shape this year. It's not just going to happen. You're going to have to get on your blue jeans and get your buckets and your flannel shirt and your hose and all of those tools and everything, and you're going to spend hours doing that or pay somebody else to. Somebody's going to have to do it. Don't be slack. Be diligent to keep your heart. And second, remember that you will have to give an account for yourself one day. One day, God is, you're going to stand before God. He will look at you, and he will say your name. And he will say, I want to talk to you now about how it went. He saw every action, heard every word, was the silent observer in every situation. Sometimes we think, well, but that happened a long time ago. It's sort of off in the past. For God, it says, a thousand years is as a day. There's nothing hidden from him. And one day we will give an account and we can't go back and change anything from right now past. We can't change that. And that's not what we're talking about today. Notice the, notice the tense in our verb, in our verse. Above all else, 
Guard, that's present, imperative. Guard your heart. It doesn't say, above all else, it sure would have been a good thing if you had guarded your heart, but it's a little late now. That verse intersects with you wherever you find yourself right now. It's not, a, it's not a retrospective verse saying, oh yeah, life would have been a whole lot different if you hadn't made some of those bad choices. You can't change the past. The, God in that verse focuses on the present above all else. Right now, right now, guard your heart. Well, tomorrow, no, right now, today, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Things you watch, things you choose to read, the things you allow to go on in your relationships. One time I heard someone say, make the analogy, when someone, you heard someone say, well, it was a great movie except for a couple of those sex scenes. And the guy said, that's like saying it was a great salad at the restaurant except for those two cockroaches that crawled out of it. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And don't, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying to take on some legalistic system from somebody or from some church. I'm talking about you and God and your Bible. Because there are many things that you realize that is just not right for me. That is, uh, defiles my heart. And maybe others... Others will have to give account of themselves for God, and, and we are different in our sensitivities and the way things affect us. But you need to know you. And if you know the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit, and He alerts you, if you're sensitive to Him, to the things that you need to avoid. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. But the naive go on and are punished for it. And you get the picture of somebody's walking along, and up ahead he sees trouble. He sees kind of this big ditch and raw sewage. And it says that the prudent sees that and decides to go another way. The, na the naive thinks, oh, I think I can, I can handle it. And he goes on anyway, and it says he suffers harm. We need to get better at preventing the problems and the things that defile us. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Our third point is the third part of the verse. And I want to say the verse a couple of times again. You ready? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now put your hand over your heart this time saying it. Let's get a little motion here. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. One more time. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And in this third point, in this third part of the verse, he says, why is it that above all else you should be guarding your heart? He says, because that is the key to your life. That is the wellspring, the word is the, um, in Hebrew, from what I read, is it's the outflow, it's the issue, it's what's coming, it's the source of everything else in your life, that flows out of your life, comes out of the heart. A book was written by Robert Louis Stevenson called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And it's gone through so many permutations and different presentations, I'm not sure if what I'm going to say fully represents the original work, but it's been presented this way many times. But it's the idea of this uh, doctor and scientist who has mixed up a concoction, and when he drinks this, he is transformed into a, a criminal who is almost like a, the devil incarnate. He commits several murders and, and thefts and destruction. 
But then when, when the effect of the medicine wears off, or the, the chemical, he returns to being nice, upstanding, polite Dr. Jekyll. And that one of the points of this, that what Doc, uh, the, Lewis Stevenson was trying to portray in this, is that he didn't really become another person. It was that the evil within his heart was left unrestrained. There is a side of evil in all of us, a darkness. Now others see you and they think, oh, that's just such a nice, upstanding member of the community. Those of you with uh, white hair, they, this saint, you know, grandmother, grandfather, uh, you see that little child and you think, oh, they couldn't have ever done anything wrong except for a few things, but we're just going to overlook that. They're just so wonderful. But the Bible says we have all sinned. And they're all, that we all have weeds in our hearts. When you take a toothpaste tube and take off the cap and you put it on the floor and then you jump on it, out squirts only what was inside. And when problems and trials leap on your life, whatever comes out of your mouth and your life at that point was something that was already there, but had not had enough pressure to release that. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. What is in your heart? What crops are you cultivating right now? What is flowing out of your life? Spring water? or sewage, what crops are coming to maturity and will be gathered into the barns? In Matthew 15, Jesus talks about the matter of the heart and how it relates to the actions. Verse 17 of Matthew 15, he says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands, ceremoniously unwashed hands, does not make him unclean. It is the wellspring of life, and that is what will defile us. But that is also where our lives can be purified if we will let God be more active in our heart. Just religion won't do this. It's amazing how religious a person can be, and yet their heart remain unmoved, untouched, unpurified. This is something that happens in the secret place with God, where you really do business with God. The thing with religion is that we, we try to give to God the things that we think he likes to appease him so that he'll still let us get away with the things that we like to do. We sometimes tend to treat God like a dog. We have our plate of food and we eat what we want and if there are any scraps left over, we toss them to him and hope he'll be happy. He says that he needs to be first, not last that he is the Lord, that that's how we were created, for him to be in first place in our life. And if we have problems in our life, many times it might be that we have not put God in the first place and we are suffering the consequences of trying to break the design. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, we already looked at that, but where it said, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Are you storing up good things in your heart? Perhaps you used to read the Bible a fair amount, and you kind of slacked off, and you really just don't even do it anymore. Or maybe there's uh, activities that you're doing that, that you know it doesn't honor the Lord, but you're thinking, well, but nobody else knows about it, and... I'm sure God is a forgiving God and it'll be okay. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. 
Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You win here, and you win everywhere. You lose the battle here, you lose everywhere. Many people think that as you age, you get to the point where you don't need to guard your heart anymore. That was for the young, the teenagers especially, college students too, maybe somewhat in those early decades of marriage. But then once you are more mature, a senior, then you just pray for everyone else because you are now sort of saintly. The people that smile the most on those comments are the saintly ones because you realize the battle never lets up. You just can decide to give up, but the battle rages your whole life. Now maybe the exact things that tempt you are changing, but your struggle with sin and your own sinfulness and the darkness that is right at the door is there till the day you die. And God has told us, above all else, every day of your whole life, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And as we said before, one day God will ask us to give account of that cultivation. And what would he say about your heart today? You know, you can go online and get a, 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 a readout on your credit reference. You just type in your name, I think, and some of your information, and, and it'll, it'll say what these credit companies think of you and whether or not they would like to lend you money. And someday there will be a readout, a printout, in the presence of God. What if you would get that today? What would it look like? You know, you can't hide from God. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Everything uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. He knows right now the condition of your heart. Do you? I'm sure there's some of you coming in here tonight that as I say these things, you're thinking, I haven't given this a thought in a long time. I, I don't know. I've just, I've got all these things I've got to do and, and people that are expecting these things. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of jogging around trying to uh, confront everything and every once in a while I kind of crash or, or, or take in a movie or something. I, I, I really wasn't thinking about this. God is always. And what has he said? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You probably know the condition of your finances. You probably know the condition of your house. You probably know the condition of your physical health. How about your heart? Would he say, that your heart is far away from him? Mark 7, verse 6. Listen to this verse. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Not far away from religion. Oh, no, they are there at every service. They sing the hymns with gusto, but their heart is far away from me. Something has happened. There is some kind of a worm eating away at your devotion to me. You have left your first love. You have not been guarding your heart. Would he say that your heart is completely his? Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And because there's so many things that happen in our lives and so many kind of stampedes that run through our lives, again and again God needs to call us back to the essentials, to the heart of the matter, to say once again, above all else, Henry, Wendy, 
John, Martha, above all else. I know, these other things, I know they're calling you, they're important, and you will need to do that. He doesn't say, I only want you to guard your heart. Go off somewhere to an island and guard your heart. No, he doesn't say that. He just says, before all the other things, your most important priority, because it affects all the other things, is to guard your heart. Your intimacy with God, your holiness, your confession of sin, anything that distances you from him or draws you to the evil within. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Say it with me two more times. Close your eyes and say it with me. Ready? Go. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at a number of items about guarding your heart. Guard your heart by clearing away the rubble. Guard your heart by growing in humility, by watching what you sow, by avoiding decay, by being a person after God's own heart. And I hope to see you here week by week. Let's close in prayer. Lord, perhaps some people here listen to the whole thing and still are not sure what we're talking about. Maybe we've been too theoretical this first talk, and they're thinking, but what does that mean to guard your heart? Lord, if it is that much of a priority with you, we know that you are eager for us to learn more about it and to put it into practice. And we would even pray that a year from now, people would say, this was a turning point in my life where I realized God's priority in me guarding my heart. I've been way too cavalier. And that's what the point at which I got serious. I got down to business with God. And he dealt with me. And things are so much better. Lord, please do a work in our lives during this season of Lent, during this preparation for Holy Week. Make us and remake us and bless us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast.